good morning. I'm going to turn the microphone on and well, I hear that one. All right, now we got it. And it's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Thank you for not uh, having an excuse because it was so cold. Um, but I'm glad that you're here. I am Brian Alexander, and uh, I'm thankful to get to be with you today. Brother Ken is one of my dear friends, and I've been thankful to get to work with him uh, in a lot of uh, different ways. Uh, I think he has even said in some of our classes that we taught on how to be transitional pastors, one of the trainings, one of the things that we did. And he's one of our star pupils, and I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you've got him. He's a, he's a great man, and I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to be here and preach today. I'm preaching on a subject entitled, God is Accessible. It's out of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verses 21. We're going to look at the rest of that chapter. Because I, I know that there's someone here today, uh, because God has laid this message on my heart for this church today, that there's someone that needs to know that God is accessible, that you can lay hold of God. Many times we think God's so far out there that we can't reach Him. Many times we offer up prayers and it seems like they are unheard. It seems as though God has turned a deaf ear. And there are times when we feel like we need God. We really need to lay hold on Him. We need His help. We need the hope that He provides. And I want to show and share with you through the Word of God today that God is accessible. And he proves that with his word and that you too can prove how accessible he is. And it is through intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is how you lay hold of God. That's how you, he is accessible is through intercessory prayer. It is one thing that many Christians do not uh, take hold of and do not involve themselves with is intercessory prayer. Many people pray and they pray for others, but I'm talking about the kind of prayer that James talks about. Brother Ken's been preaching through, through James that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. When it's talking about that fervency, it's talking about red hot prayer. How long has it been since you've been involved in red-hot prayer? Not just offering a prayer for a meal or a prayer of thanksgiving, but I'm talking about red-hot, fervent prayer where you don't want to quit until you touch hold of God. You don't want to quit till you hear from God. You know, there's two things that really make us pray, that drive us to pray. First of all is circumstances beyond your control. Say Amen. Now, when I say amen, you say amen, because I got a long version and a short version. And I'd rather go with the short version, because I'm probably the hungriest one in here. We'll get through old time. But circumstances beyond your control. When something is where you cannot do anything to manipulate it or to work it through or fix it, when you come to that place, you think, well, there's nothing left I can do. And that, what, that's one of the things that drives us to pray. But then the second thing that drives us to pray is not only circumstances beyond our control, but sicknesses beyond our cure. You know, when we have a little ailment, we don't go to the Lord. We don't, we don't agonize with God over a little sniffle we've got or an ingrown toenail or a scraped knee or elbow. 
But when somebody tells you, when some doctor tells you you got stage four colon cancer or lung cancer or kidney cancer or bladder cancer, when you hear those words, it rings a different tone, doesn't it? Man, it makes you want to pray. We start calling our hotlines and saying, man, help me. Help me pray. I'm in, a, I'm in a fight for my life. I'm dealing with this cancer or heart disease or whatever it may be, and it's serious. And so that drives us to pray, and it drives others to intercede for one another. I'm amazed at how, as I was sitting in the, my automobile waiting for the second service, I get a text from my daughter. My daughter is in a foreign country, her and her family. They're in a, they're in a, a place where ISIS is at. They're missionaries, and she sends me a text and says, Dad, a bomb has gone off in our city. Just wanted to let you know it was not near us. Just keep praying as we keep serving. When you get your family in a place where you can't help them, all you've got is intercessory prayer. I assure you, that's enough. It's enough. And I want to take God's Word today, and I want to prove to you upon the authority of this blessed Word that intercessory prayer is enough. And this is how we go get God. We go get God because he is accessible. In our book, in our chapter today, Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, the word says, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the sea, other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh to the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray you, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And down in verse 35, and it says, When he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, which said, Your daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard that word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he comes to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he sees the tumult and them which wept and wailed greatly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why are you making this ado, and why do you weep? The damsel is not dead, but she sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talathe kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. I want to assert to you today that J. Iris needed to know that God was accessible.
He needed to go. He needed to know that regardless of his religious background. That's what I want us to think about first. He needed to know that God was accessible regardless of his religious background. The Bible says there that he was a, a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Jairus had a lot of things going for him. He was born in the right family. He was born of the right tribe. He had the right schooling. He had all the necessary credentials for him to come to the place where he was the ruler of the synagogue. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the Pentateuch. He knew the Torah. He had studied those things. He was a, he was a great man. He was a man of authority. He was a man who had wisdom and understanding. He was a man who needed to know that God was accessible. He wasn't a drunk. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't a womanizer. He was a religious man. But the sad thing is, in this story here, he can't find God. Have you ever thought about this? That here this man who is the ruler of the synagogue cannot find God in the synagogue. Sad to say, there's a lot of churches across our country that you don't find God in either. I've been in some of them. I'm telling you, well, anyway, I won't go into that. But I mean, he needed to know. You know, there's a lot of people. You have invited to church. You've tried to tell them about Christ. You've, you've shared some great things with them. And yet they have, they have no concern. They'll tell you, well, you know what? I was raised in church. I did that. I've done that. Been there, done that. My mom and daddy went to church. They drug me to church my whole life and da-da-da-da-da and they just on and on. And I've had people say, well, you know what? My dad was a preacher. I've had some. My mom was a preacher. My grandmama, my grandma. It's amazing how so many people who are lost without Christ will talk about how their parents or grandparents was preachers. I hear it all the time. But I want to assert this to you that you can have a religious background as long as a Georgia railroad. You can be baptized in every mud hole between here and Texas, and you can die in your sins and go to hell without Jesus Christ. You have got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself, regardless of your religious background. I don't care how many in your history has been saved and have walked with God. Listen, when it comes down to the day when you stand before God in judgment, you are going to have to have your personal relationship with Christ. It is going to be you that you're going to have to answer for, not for the rest of the world. It's not going to be what mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa did. It's going to be what you did when it came to trusting and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Regardless of your religious background, you need to know that God is accessible. This is where J. Iris was. But not only because of his, regardless of his religious background, he needed to know that God was accessible, but also because of his relational background. We think about our story here. What is it that's driving J. Iris, this ruler, this religious man, what is it that's driving him to go find Jesus? It's a relationship, isn't it? It's a relationship with a daughter. Let me ask you, how many of you men in here have got daughters or granddaughters or great-granddaughters? All right, a bunch of you. Well, I, I want to say this. I'm, I'm an Alexander, and I come from a long line of Alexanders. And three generations, there were nothing but boys born, no, no girls. Nothing but boys. And when my wife was going to have our first child, 
We just all assumed I was going to be a boy. I mean, it's going to be the first grandchild in this uh, generation of our family. And when that baby was born, it was a little girl. Oh, goodness, night. Listen, folks, I was not prepared for what it was going to be like to have a little girl. I was not equipped emotionally. I was not. I was raised in the old school. I was raised, boy, where mom and dad, they, they were, my dad was a big boss, and he called all the shots, and, and it was, if you don't like it too bad, so sad, your dad strike a trot, hit the road, whatever it takes, it didn't matter to him. But man, I wasn't, and that's the way I was. I just thought, that's the way you do business. But man, when that little girl popped up in your lap and looked at them big, big brown eyes and big blue eyes and that blonde hair said, Daddy, I wasn't equipped for it. I'd have to turn my head. I'd feel myself quivering. I said, oh, Lord. You know what? Little girls will make you do things. Now, boys are special, too. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying girls, are, they're different. And they'll make men do stuff they would never dream of doing before. They'll make men spend money they never thought about spending money. They, they get crazy around them. And my goodness, my daddy, when he saw that first grandchild, that little girl, good night, what a nut job he was. <laughs> crazy. He went slam crazy. Sad thing is he only lived seven more months. He's 46 years old, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Odessa, Florida, had a massive heart attack and was gone. Never got to know a single grandchild except our oldest granddaughter, our daughter Amy. You know, the relational background. I remember in 1993 when I moved to Douglasville to pastor. I remember Mary Ann, the girl who's over in the overseas as a missionary. After we'd been there one solid week, she'd been in school one week. On Friday, the kids had their little routine. They come in, they got the book bags on, they walk in and they go back to their bedroom, put their book bags on their bed, they come back into the kitchen, you know, they go into the refrigerator or the pantry. Y'all know the gig, that's the way it works. Well, this day, Mary Ann comes in. She doesn't go to her room. She's in kindergarten. She takes off her book bag, puts it on the, the kitchen table. I'm sitting there on Friday, it's my day off. I'm sitting in my recliner. She come in there, she said, Daddy. I said, what, baby? I could tell she was a little disturbed. And I said, what's the matter? She said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. So I figured she's going to hop up in my lap, lay her head on my shoulder, and, Daddy, let me tell you what happened today. You know, just whatever. But this day, she didn't do that. She popped up in my lap. She straddled my knees, and she didn't come in on my chest. She stayed out there. And she looked at me. She says, Daddy, I need to talk to you. I said, what is it? I saw her lips start quivering. I thought, this girl had never been in trouble in her life, and then she done got trouble at school. That's what I was thinking. She says, Daddy, I don't like it here. I don't like this house. I don't like my room. I don't like this school. I don't like my bus. I don't like the bus driver. I don't like this church. I don't like anything about this. And she said, please, Daddy, can we go home? Please, let's go home. And she just, she just wailed and cried and begged me to go home. Now, being from the old school, I just want to say, well, that's too bad. So sad your dad pick her up, set her down, and send her to her room. But there was something happening in my soul, and I thought, well, I'm not going to treat her that way. And I said, well, I'm so sorry, baby. And she said, please, Daddy, please. And I said, honey. So I made up my mind in this split second, I'm going I'm to just, I'm going to bluff this little girl. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do, honey. I have an answer. I said, let me call Grandma, and let me just see if you can go down there and live with her. 
you won't be able to, uh, you know, you won't be able to see us on weekends and we won't be able to be there because we have church. We won't be able to see you on the weekends. But you can go to the same school and you can live with Grandma. And uh, I'll just call her. Is that okay? She said, call her. So I said, oh, good. <laughs> I, I really wasn't expecting that, I promise you. And so... So I reached in there and I picked up the phone. I held the little receiver on that cordless phone and I act like I was punching all the digits in and I sit there and waited and waited. And, and finally she looked at me, she said, is she answered yet? I said, no, baby, not yet. So I just kept waiting. Finally, I said, well, I'm going to have to resort to the old school. Too bad, so sad your dad and send her out of here. But finally she reached up and took the phone. She put it down. She said, daddy, you know I can't go live with grandma. You and Mama need me. I said, yeah, baby, we, we do. We, we do need you. I said, but honey, God's called us here. He's, he's provided for us to be here. And, I, and, and this is where God's going to make our life for the next however many years. And honey, God's going to make it special for you. It'll become a, a good home and you'll, you'll enjoy it. And I said, you'll, you'll wonder why you ever felt this way as time goes by. And she said, I hope so. And I pulled her in close and loved on her and cried with her and I prayed with her. And I put her down on the floor and I remember her walking across that floor and she grabbed that book bag. I leaned back in my chair and I looked around at that parsonage we was living in. I said, you know, I don't much like this parsonage either. <laughs> and I said, you know, that church, they're going to run me off in six months. I won't be, I'll be out without of a job in the unemployment line. Lord, what did I leave that church? My church was a good, man, I fell apart. I said, what are we doing here? All of those emotions came because of that little girl. What was going wrong in her heart and her life? I cannot imagine what Jay Iris was going through when he walked into the bedroom of his 12-year-old daughter laying there on her deathbed, probably thinking today is going to be her last day. He was a man who had access to wealth. He could have the best doctors, the best medicines and all of that, but nothing seemed to work. So he needed to know, I've got to find God. God got to be accessible regardless of his religious background, regardless of his relational background that's driving him to find God. But he needed to go know that God was accessible because of his realization of his helplessness. Every single person in here today we, are, we all have this one thing in common. We hate with a passion the feeling of helplessness. Amen? We hate it. We do whatever we can do to fix it, manipulate it, work it out, try to see how we can get this thing to, to come together and work it and fix it somehow, some way. But there are times in life when there's nothing we can do. It's a circumstance beyond our control. And this is where he is. He's struggling, and he's helpless. He's thinking, when he grabbed, I bet he grabbed his little girl's hand and said, Honey, I'm sorry. What can I do for you? Whether she was in a coma or not, we don't know. But we know she was on death's door because she goes to Jesus, and she said, My daughter lies at the point of death. If you come and just lay your hands on her, you can heal her. He was helpless. You know what? When you feel helpless, you need to know that God is accessible. In those helpless moments of life, when God brings us to helplessness, those feelings of helplessness, we need to know that God is accessible. Many years ago, when 
our two daughters, both of them were in college. One, Mary, Amy was in the, the University of Georgia, and Mary Ann was in uh, Piedmont College at Demarest. Me and my wife was laying in bed around 1 o'clock one morning, and the phone rang. I picked up the phone, and I looked at the calling, caller ID, and it said the Douglas County Sheriff's Department. Now, I know one thing, that if a sheriff's department calls you at 1 o'clock in the morning, they are not calling you to tell you that, ask you to vote for them in the next election. Amen? They're not. It's serious. I've had calls from police departments at late at night through the years of ministry. I answered the phone, and this uh, dispatcher said, is this Miss Alex Mr. Alexander? I said, yes, it is. Said, do you live at 1140 Doris Road? I said, I do. She said, I hate to bother you this time of day or night, but I want to uh, ask you, is there any way you can get up and go outside? There's an officer that's getting ready to come down your driveway that needs to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I hung up, and I, my wife said, who is it? I said, it's the sheriff's department. She said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I remember as I put my clothes on, I remember her sliding out of the bed, getting on her knees, taking her pillow, pulling up under her face, and I could hear her praying and crying and calling out to the Lord while I was walking. I remember walking down that hallway, and we had an A-frame house and had windows in that A-frame all the way up to the roof. And I remember when I got to those windows, I looked out there, and I could see the sheriff deputy pulling in our long driveway. And I was watching him come up. And I remember walking over to that door. As I grabbed the handle of that door, I was praying. And I said, dear God, I'm asking you if there's anything left to do for my daughters. If something's wrong, I'm asking you, God, to do it. I'm begging you to do it. But God, if it's too late, if there's nothing left for you to do, if it's not in your will to do anything, God, I'm asking you for grace and strength and help for what could be the worst day of our lives. And I remember walking out there, we had a lot of, a lot of concrete and parking area there between my shop and the house, and he pulled around there, and when he come around the curve where I was standing, he rolled the window down. He said, are you Mr. Alexander? And I said, yes, I am. He said, uh, well, I need to talk to you. And so he rolls the window back up, pulls up to where the parking, where we park cars, and he stopped right there, and I just kept standing there waiting on him. He's punching on a computer. Now, I'm... I'm a little on edge, amen. <laughs> I'd better knock that window out, grab him by the head of the hair and snatch him out of there and tell me what, what's going on. He got out of the car and he looked at me and said, Mr. Alexander, I hate to have to tell you this. And I remember when he did, my knees almost buckled. I felt like I was going to throw up. I broke out in a cold sweat. And I said, well, what is it? He said, I hate to tell you this, but your cows are out. <laughs> Man, I grabbed that joker around the waist, picked him up, and he said, hey, what's the matter? And I said, whoo, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Amen, hallelujah. I swung him around. I set him down. He said, don't kiss me. I said, I ain't gonna kiss you, man. <laughs> he said, what's the matter with you, man? I said, man, I thought you was bringing me bad news about one of my babies. I couldn't stand the thought of it. You tell me my cows are out. I said, I don't even own a cow. <laughs> he said, well, they're in your front yard. I said, they belong to the neighbors. I don't own a cow. And he said, well, I'm sorry to have bothered you. And I said, me too, man. <laughs> I said, why are you here? Get them cows up. <laughs> why would I tell you a story like that? Because I'll tell you what it like, was like to be so helpless. And there was nothing I could do. 
But I want to tell you something, folks. I've learned through the years that God was accessible for me and my wife at that moment. But I'm going to tell you something else. I've been with other families when the news was not like that. The news was tragic, and it was terrible, and it was heartbreaking. And that news wrecked their world. I want you to know we found a God who was just as accessible for them as he was for us. It was just in a different way. God is accessible. Not only through his religious background and his relational background and through his helplessness, but yet also in his response to his helplessness. You know, it's one thing to know that you're helpless. It's something else to do something about your helplessness. And you say, well, what can you do when you're helpless? That's why you're helpless. You can't do anything. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. That's what the moral of this story, that's what the teaching of the Word of God is. And listen, there is a God. His name is Jesus, and He is accessible. The Bible said He's on the right hand of God, and He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's the one that's waiting on us to call with an effectual, fervent prayer in the lives of others who are struggling, just like J. Iris. I remember many years ago we used to sing, and in some country churches across the country they still sing it, a song that goes like this. There's not a hour when he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. No night so dark that his love can't cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. That's him. That's Jesus. He's the one. There's not a thing any person in here that's going through today that God doesn't know what you're going through. And I'm here to tell you that God is accessible for the needs of your heart today. No night is too dark. But then let me share with you, not only regardless of his religious background and his relational background about his daughter, the realization of his helplessness, but that response to his helplessness. When he said, when he came to him, he said he begged him, and he said, my daughter's at the point of death. If you will come and lay your hands on her, she will be healed. You know what this daddy is saying? This daddy is saying, I've done all I can do. I've had it in my hands long enough, and there's nothing else I can do. He said, I've got to get this out of my hands, and I've got to get it into your hands. He's saying, Lord Jesus, if you would lay your hands on her. I've laid my hands on her. I've tried to help her. I've tried to give her hope. I've tried all these things. Nothing works, and I'm at my wit's end. I don't have any hope. I don't have any help unless you give it. And so he cries out, and he intercedes for his daughter. And we know the story that the Lord Jesus goes with him. Now, I want to share a little something. I'm almost through. But in this text, there's a story in a story. I skipped this other story. The other story, it begins in verse 25. He said, there was a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had, but nothing was better, but rather grew worse. 
when she heard that Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she had, was healed of the plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, he turned him about in the press, and he said to him, he said, who touched me? And the disciples said unto him, that you see this multitude thronging you, and who do you, why do you say, who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Be whole of thy plague. Now I know this is the chronological order of the story of what took place on the day that Jairus went to find Jesus. But after Jesus had met with Jairus and he's going with him. Now I want you to see the scene. I want you to see this picture as we draw this to a conclusion. You've got, you've got Jesus and you've got Jairus. Let's say you've got them arm in arm. And man, they're, they're walking down the road and there's a crowd of people all around them. And you know what? It's so tight. It's called the press. There's so many people pressing in on them. And Jairus has got Jesus right where he wants him. He's on his way to his house to help to heal his daughter. And they're on their way and somebody touches his clothes and Jesus stops. Now, what would you do if you'd have been Jairus? I don't know about you, but I'd have said, come on, come on, Jay. It don't matter who touched you. There's a dog run by you, man. Come on, come on, let's go. And just kept on, I'd have trapped on going him. And don't look at me so spiritual, bless God. If you was riding, you riding in an ambulance having a massive heart attack and you pulled up behind Sister Sally and she's going 10 miles an hour, you'd tell the driver, run over. I don't care. Get me there. I need some help. But I say to you that this story with the woman with the issue of blood was there for her benefit, but also it was for J. Iris's benefit. This story was about being a blessing to J. Iris in one of his most painful moments of his life. You say, I don't know about that. Well, remember the Bible says, the woman, this certain woman, which had an issue of blood, how long did she have it? Twelve years. How old was the daughter who was dying? Twelve years old. I wonder, did J.I.R.S. think, for every year my daughter has been alive, this woman has had this issue of blood. Can he heal her? What a bomb was dropped there on that story. That's a, that was something else when you've got J. Iris to have to stop and think. He stopped. He's, I know he's in a hurry. I would be. And for 12 years, this woman has suffered with this disease. Can Jesus heal her? And then when he does heal her, here comes another bomb that gets dropped on J. Iris. The Bible says down, down there that the woman came fearing fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, that she had been healed. And then it said in verse 34, And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. He called her daughter. And I know some of you don't think that's that big a deal, but you search the scriptures and you find anywhere else that Jesus called any other woman daughter. Not another time. So I'm wondering, J. Iris, 
He's warning. He's in a hurry. Come on. But you know what? Jesus is never in such a hurry that he don't have time to heal you while he is on his way to heal somebody else. He's not in such a hurry that he can't help you while he's on his way to help somebody else. That's the God we serve. He is accessible. He can help you, and he can, and he will help you. But it takes faith. You know what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, the Bible said faith is the substance of things hoped so for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me tell you something. God supplies the resources to our need before the need arises. But see, we don't see it that way. We live by sight. We're just living a long life. We come into a need. We come into a struggle. And when we find that struggle or hit that struggle, we say, oh, God, help me. Turn to us. But you know what? We're, Lord, I need your help now. Well, God's already provided the answer for that need but it takes faith to find it. You see, God didn't create Adam and tell him to hold his breath until he created air for him to breathe. He created air for him to breathe before he created Adam. He didn't create a fish and tell him to flop around on the ground until he created water for him to swim in. He created water for him to swim in first. God has the supply to our need. He is a God who is accessible, but he expects us to seek out, cry out, those fervent prayers of righteous people. It avails much. That's how you access God is through intercessory prayer. Let me ask you. You know, I, I like this and I'll try to end with this. The, the story here in Mark says that the woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I just but touch his clothes, I should be made whole. But you know, Mark had a little different take slant on that. Remember Matthew. Matthew said that the woman said, if I could just touch the what? Hem of his garment. I will be made whole. You know what? Nothing's in the Bible of happenstance and why Matthew would want to bring this about the hymn. But you know what? I, my wife loves to sew and she's been sewing all her life nearly. And I asked her one time about the hymn and she said, you know, the hymn is the crowning work. That's one of the last things that goes on if you're making a dress or a skirt or something like that. It's the last, it's one of the last things to do. You set that hymn. She said, you know what, you just take the, 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 the material that's headed, you know, that's aiming downward, you just turn it up, and you just sew it up. Once you set it, you set the height of the hem. But, you know, here's a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the hem of his garment. For you see, it's a picture of that ragged edge, that edge that needed something done, needed some, some help, needed some hope, and it's headed downward. It's pointing downward toward, toward hell and toward the earth. And then there's someone who turns it up, and it's a picture of the scarlet thread of redemption that is sewing that hem of that thread through that fabric. And it's a picture of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who has paid the price for your sins and my sin. And because of what took place on Calvary, those of us that we were headed on our way toward hell without any hope. There came Jesus, and he paid the price for our sin and our forgiveness. What a Savior. What a Savior. You know, the thing about this today is there may be someone sitting in here in this service, but you're laying on the bed of Jairus' daughter spiritually. And there's been people praying for you for a long time that you'd get right with God. You know, today during this time of 
invitation is a time of response. If God's touching your heart, some of you came here today and you might have been feeling helpless and hopeless, but I want you to know there's a God who's accessible. And it's through intercessory prayer. It's through getting alone with God. And God hears our prayers. I wish I had time to share some examples with you about lately where God has answered prayers in miraculous ways. But God is in that business and He is accessible. You know, you may be lonely, you may be brokenhearted, you may be lost. If you're lost without Jesus, man, you're, you're hanging between heaven and hell and the only thing keeping you out of hell is the breath of life and God controls the breath of life. As God gives you an opportunity to place your faith and trust in Christ, God is accessible to save you if you'll but call upon his name. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved today. If you're, I hope today that every one of you sitting under the sound of my voice that you're ready for heaven. But you know, and God knows, whether you're ready. If you've never been saved during this time of invitation, you can ask Jesus. It's between you and him. I can't save you. But you can ask him to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and save you and place your trust in him and commit your life to live for the Lord Jesus. And he said, whosoever should call upon his name shall be saved. If you've never been saved, the invitation is for you. If you're here today, and it seemed like God's been a million miles away and you needed to know that God was accessible. Today, God wants to spend some time with you. This altar is going to be open. You can come and pray. You can pray right where you are. But if you need to make a decision, you know what? This is the time to do what God has called you to do. And I've come here today to encourage you that for the needs of your heart, there's a God who's accessible to meet those needs. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you, and Lord, you know every detail of every individual sitting on the sound of my voice. And God, I don't know their needs, but you do. I pray for that man, woman, boy, or girl that's walked through these doors today that doesn't know you personally. And Lord, if they were to die without you, they would have no hope. But Lord, I pray that Lord, as I'm reaching out to you, Lord, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm going to get God. Lord, I'm going after you for them. And Lord, I'm like Jay Iris. I'm begging you, Lord, come help them and touch their heart. And Lord, let them feel and know you're here today and that you are accessible. So God, I just pray that you'd have your will and your way during this time of commitment. And Lord, there won't be a soul leave here today with something left undone. And Lord, we praise you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.